You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, guys, good morning. Great to see you. Uh, next week, as uh, Shaham just mentioned a, a minute ago, is um, Cause to Live For. And I know you do, and I know you are uh, praying for us, but honestly, please pray for us. Uh, that generation is fought for. And um, every year, we seem to go into this couple of week battle over it and I know stuff happens and you know circumstantial but honestly November is a wild ride for us uh, and we definitely appreciate your prayers we're in a we're in a series that I've been doing called Empowered Church don't worry at some point it will finish those of you like when do we even start this thing Um, but last week I said I wanted to break my own rule of not sharing uh, about our children and I shared one and I thought to myself well because I've already broken it just one more, because um, this kind of fits perfectly with what I, I, I wanted to share this morning. So on, on Monday night, I'm in A&E with our, with our youngest daughter, uh, Steph and Sophie were out, and I was with Liv, and somehow out of nowhere, she's had this freak accident, uh, blood everywhere, teeth that are all somehow wobbly. Anyway, standard drama, pre-cause. Um, we, we go to A&E, and we come out, and we go to the, um, we're in the car park, and we go to the pay machine, and uh, we'd left for such a rush to get to the hospital that I've literally got nothing with me. I haven't got my wallet or anything. And I'm like, how am I going to pay? So anyway, uh, don't you love technology at the minute? I'm like, Apple Pay, we're going to be fine. Uh, the card reader machine is flashing red, warning. Like, it's, it basically says out of order. But I've already, at this point, when I saw that, I've already put my ticket in the machine. So I pressed the, like, whatever button it is, like the cancel button, give me my ticket back, please. And I realised the cancel button is not working. So I'm like, I can't pay, but I might have been able to pay, but now it's even robbed my ticket. What is going to happen? Why is there always drama? And it's like, ah. Anyway, it's late at night. Liv wants to go home. I want to go home. And I press the button, and the uh, security guard chap comes on the thing. And he says, oh, no worries. Just go to the barrier and I'll let you out. And I'm like, yes, come on, I'm stretched. It's been a long day on the back of a long week. Let's just for a moment sidestep what loads of you are thinking about hospital car parking charges and the war that's now raging in your heads over it. But in my head, I'm like, this is the win of all wins. I've not got to pay for the car parking. I'm become distracted by that. Anyway, that, that feeling, I don't know if you've had it, it's like finding £10 in your back pocket that you didn't even know you had. You're like, yes, yeah, somehow I've now won. And uh, anyway, basically I'm carrying Liv and she's facing the ticket machine that's behind me and I'm facing the car as we, as we walk away when we hear this noise. And it's a noise that I can only describe as when I was a seven-year-old. We used to go on holiday often to Cromer. And uh, have you ever been in the arcades? Obviously we don't go in the arcades because we're Christians, but uh, we went in the arcades and you know the slot machine where they do that like push and pull thing and you put 2p in it's only 2p it wasn't gambling I was only seven I was under my mum's watch anyway like every now and again you put 2p in and you might win like 8p or whatever it is you win slightly more but um, every now and again random cash would just drop have you ever I mean obviously none of you have ever been in there but you can see what I mean Uh, but at that age when like 20p and 2p's drops you're like we've just won thousands of pounds this is going to change my life forever 2p now to kids is like nothing is it but um, anyway that noise somehow happens in this car parking machine and Liv's looking at it and she saw it and cash is dropping right and I say cash it was like a couple of quid and a few 50 p's but her face lights up and like we grab the cash and uh, it's like two pound fifty something like that and um, anyway out of nowhere I just said to her oh, you can have that that's a bravery award and she said to me I'll keep, I'll keep 50p, but you can give the rest to church. And it's like, you know, you get that moment, you like, smack me in the heart. Anyway, I'm like, are you, are you sure? And, and she's like, yeah. And by the time we got to the car, actually, she changed her mind. I mean, of course she has, she's five. Um, but she changed her mind to say, actually, give it all to the church. Go and help people, give it to the church. And uh, anyway, I, I slung the cash just in the front of the car. And the next day, I picked the kids up from school, and Sophie sat in the front, and she's like a magpie. And she sees this money in the front little tray thing in the car, and she's like, Who's this for? Is it for me? Shall I have it? And uh, before I said, 
kind of, well, I just said, actually, I'd given it to Liv as a bravery reward. And Liv sat in the back and she pipes up whilst eating a little um, mon monster munch. And she's like, important detail, she loves them. She's like, no, daddy, I said I wanted to give it to the church to help people. Now, there's just three, three points I want you to take away from this story. Firstly, Liv, thank you for the perfect talk illustration. I am so grateful. Um, secondly, I am not in any way trying to say we've got perfect children that butter wouldn't melt in their mouths. We don't sit around just singing like, come by armor, Lord. But um, the, the third one is this. There is something about children, there's something about their understanding of kingdom principles that as we grow older somehow just gets more complex and more messy. But Luke 18, verse 16, then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me, don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And my prayer is for us, Lord, help us to get it like that and do it all over again, because it's not ours. None of it is ours. It's all his, the money, the time, the talents, the lot, all of it is his. And to embark on this journey of being an empowered church, we kind of have to really get that. We have to understand that. My kids aren't mine. My marriage isn't mine. The church isn't mine. None of it is mine. Our car, our house, our relationships, none of it is ours. It's all his. And we're just, we're caretakers. We're entrusted as stewards of something that actually is his. Ephesians 4 verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Our responsibility is to equip others to build up the church. We give it away. We give what we've been given away and we freely give it. We don't hold on to any of it. We release it. Matthew 10 verse 5, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out the demons. Give freely as you've received. Don't take any money in your belts, no gold or silver or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Give as freely as you've received. We've been given so much and we get to give it away. We get it to give it. It says don't take any money in your belts, no gold, silver or even copper coins. And yet so often... Maybe this is just me, but we try and hang on to our stuff and our stuff becomes our stuff. It becomes mine, it's for me. And it starts to rob us and it becomes the stuff we need and the stuff we want. And if we aren't careful, it starts to become an idol. It may come as no surprise to you that today I wanna to talk about money. And right now, just even saying that, I am aware I've just walked into the lion's den because I can talk about pretty much any other thing. But when I talk about money or when I talk about our calendars, somehow it gets closer to home. Hang on a minute. That's mine. That's not for you to speak into. I pretty much guarantee when I talk about money, this one fills my inbox like none other. Because I know this one can be offensive. And to be honest, it all can be offensive. Because the Bible teaches us and what it teaches us isn't actually what the world teaches us. And so I used to find this talk quite hard. But the more I've seen it, I'm actually more gutted that I don't talk about it more because it's a huge part of our discipleship that our hearts and that our culture are fighting for and fighting for significantly. But let me say, though, if you, if you come in here today and you hear this as a one-off talk, kind of please don't. Actually, hear this as part of a relationship, hear this as part of vision and values, hear this as part of a wider series, hear this as part of our journey in discovering more of Jesus in the Bible. I know right now we're in a cost of living crisis. I know right now we're in the lead up to Christmas and I know everything everywhere is going up. And you could say there is no worse time for me to talk about this I think also you could potentially argue, actually, there's no better time 
for us to talk about it because I don't want to avoid, sorry, I don't, I don't want, I do want to avoid, I don't want the world's view. I want the truth of the Bible and I want the kingdom view. And today's news is actually tomorrow's fish and chip paper. So much of what the culture teaches us today and the immediacy and the panic and the nervousness of what is happening will shift and move on, particularly when we see it from a kingdom viewpoint. And we need something more stable. We need something more lasting. Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. Today, I just want to help us do a couple of things. One is to live with margin, but also to live on mission. We want to live with margin, but also live on mission. So often we're taught, aren't we, by the, by the culture and just our natural habits to start to live in excess, to live on credit, to live with endless wants and needs. And whatever we have is never quite enough and it's never quite satisfying. And yet I believe not just with our money, but generally we're taught and the Bible taught, teaches us to live with margin and on a mission. The passage I read a moment ago, don't take any money in your money belts, no gold, no silver, or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Definitely be fed. I'm not saying don't have. I'm just saying we've been freely given and we should freely give we need to give it freely rather than being constrained in our thinking and our behavior by what the culture and sometimes what our hearts begin to teach us and if we don't have sometimes a reset moment we don't land or understand necessarily naturally the truth of the kingdom mindset Matthew 13:45 again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls when he discovered a pearl of great value he sold everything he owned and he bought it. The way of the kingdom will cost you. Sometimes people think, if I give more, I'm going to get more. I've, I've, honestly, I've never begged bread. I'll give you that. But this isn't something that I'm trying to talk about financial gain. It's about gaining the pearl of great price. It's about gaining the extension of the kingdom. It's about gaining intimacy with the king, with every constraint and every distraction being removed that can so often and so easily ensnare us and entrap us. Wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be, Matthew 6, 21. Now, for those of you that are in this room where you can already feel your heart pounding, let me, let me just give you a few thoughts before we even jump in. Firstly, if this is offensive, I kind of want to say sorry, not sorry, because so often our mind is offended to reveal our heart. So much of the gospel is offensive to a human mindset. That said, if it's offensive because I've worded it poorly, then I am 100% sorry because my hope would be my humanness doesn't get too caught up in this. But if this is offensive because of how I've said it, 100%, that's got to go. But the truth is a subject like this, I often, actually, I, I particularly narrow the funnel. I, I lean in even closer than ever to a vineyard vision and values, to a biblical framework and understanding. I hope, actually, I always do, but particularly with something like this where I know there's potential contention I'd stick to the parameters even more closely to ensure I'm not straying the lines. That's the first thing. The other thing I want to say, and this is really important, is that this is our choice. This is not something that is dictated to us. But Steph and I do not know what you give. We do not know what you financially give. And if I'm really honest with you, I don't want to know. I, I, I know some church leaders do know and they say you need to know, and they say that's a key discipleship indicator, uh, and it's a key discipleship issue, and I, I can see that, and I can see why they'd say that, and I'm not trying to criticize that. I just want you to know we don't know, and I think it's really important. I don't relate to you, and I don't speak to you from the perspective of knowing what you do or you don't give. I speak to you, hopefully, from the perspective of what the scriptures say and what I believe Jesus is seeking to teach us. So if you feel in any way you're sat there and you're thinking, well, you're harassing me 
over this. Firstly, I want to say I don't work like that. Secondly, I have no idea what you do or you don't give. Now, some people on occasion, I just want to be really honest, some people on occasion have wanted to have or desired to have a conversation with us about the general principle of giving, and we want to honour their desire to have that conversation. But again, we don't know what people give. We do know if our leaders give. We don't know what they give, but we do know if they give. Again, I think that actually is a key value and it's a discipleship question because whatever and wherever, sorry, wherever the treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. Let me just really quickly though, these don't panic, I'm, I'm ready for lunch at some point as well. I'm going to share seven really quick reflections with you. I've said seven and some of you are now panicked, like 35 sub points, seven points. No, it's going to be fine. But the first, the first is this. The first thing I want to say is I realize people talk about money every single day. Most people talk about money virtually daily. Actually, they think about it. There are probably very few among us or in this community that for some way or uh, in some stance, money is not a regular conversation. People talk about it, people worry about it, people argue about it, people make their plans around it, many people daily struggle with it. And yet we so rarely step into a conversation that actually helps and so the danger is the fear of the reaction starts to create this theological vacuum. And I, I just want to try and normalize this conversation because money is actually huge to our individual discipleship. God knows this and therefore actually has a significant amount to say about it. It's a hugely important issue to God. There's over 2,000 references in the Bible about it. Jesus talked about it more than heaven and hell combined. 15% of his teaching was about it. 11 of his parables mention it and only the kingdom of God receives more attention and Jesus warns people far more often about greed than sex outside of God's design and yet which is the one we think he often speaks to us more about but money is a deeply deeply private thing for so many people I could probably talk about pretty much any other subject but as soon as we talk about money for some reason it does this thing to us where our stance changes but we have to start talking about it and we have to try and normalize the conversation by talking about normal things because it's a huge part of our discipleship. So that's the first thing. The first thing is I realize people talk about this every single day. The second thing is this. I, I just said this is a discipleship conversation and a discipleship issue and journey. Actually, I just want to go a little bit further. I want to say, actually, it might be helpful if we start to see this as a pastoral care issue. If we neglect talking about money, actually, I think there are marriages, there are relationships, there are businesses, there are ways of living and acting. There are all sorts of things in our lives that could pay a price, excuse the pun. But you, you see what I mean? Because I was reading some research just this week that listed money as one of the top reasons for divorce in society. People right now with the cost of living, have an increased burden and pressure. And they're looking for hope. And they're looking for help. And we carry both. And the Bible is packed with truth and wisdom over margin and mission. That's the second thing. The third thing is this. This, this isn't just about mission. This is about your future. If we plan for our financial future better personally we're going to have a better future as a church. See, we're, we're currently sliding towards being a cashless society. I tried to just this week pay for a game of pool in a, in a pub and there's a card machine attached to the side of the pool table and my card kept failing. I couldn't even pay in cash. I was like, can I pay in cash? I don't even have cash because we're a cashless society. But by, by the way, for some of you, I just wanted to know my time in the fire service was not wasted. I'm still actually quite good at pool. And that, but anyway, we could digress with that. But this... This isn't, this isn't about getting something from you. This is about wanting something for you. I want you and I long for you to have sound judgment in relation to your finances. I don't want to see you live in debt. I don't want to see you live beyond your means. I don't want to see you get caught in the trap of need, 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 want, 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 next thing, next thing, next thing, bigger, better, more 
circumstances, relations under strain as a result of financial decisions. The question I ask myself and Steph and I ask ourselves quite regularly is, do we create margin? Do we create margin that allows us to live within our means, that allows us to be prepared for the unexpected, that also allows us to give generously and be generous to others and to the kingdom? The full thing is this. I think we've got to understand that this conversation, that money generally and the principle behind it, is an idol of our time. We have to know that as we speak into this and we have thoughts and reflections from a kingdom perspective, that there will be resistance. There will be resistance with others, but there will be resistance in our minds because actually this is an idol of our time. So can I, can I challenge you to consider what it is to work through that idol personally in your own lives and in the lives of your family unit. Because we have to consider the place and the influence and the hold that money has on our lives. We live in a time of instant gratification, of obsessive consumerism. Most of this stuff catches us without even realising it because it's just become a thing. And it's the thing of our world that sometimes we can get swept into the river without even realising it. Can I encourage you to consider, do you and have you got swept into that river? And therefore, to quite intentionally start to consider the impact of that, to make choices and to be deliberate about it and to therefore consider what it is to be wise. The fifth thing is this. I said there were seven. I think you're going to do it. We're doing all right, aren't we? We're motoring. But the fifth thing is this. Generosity is crucial. What I'm personally feeling at the minute, and I'm a feeler, you've got to be careful that you don't project something, but I'm, I'm feeling that in every conversation, and nearly every conversation I have anywhere I have it, is about rising costs. And I don't even have to go half a day without bumping into it or hearing it. Wherever I am, in the supermarket, the school gate, you can hear, hear it. And it's, it feels like quite a while since I even went half a day without that conversation. And what can happen either consciously or subconsciously, what that starts to do, I think, is cause us to draw up the drawbridge, to pull up the drawbridge of generosity. Because consciously or even subconsciously, it starts to cause us to think, well, I need to look after my own needs because we're in a difficult season or we're going into a difficult season. The reality is, though, when we, when we have our mindset in perspective, our personal finances start to come under a kingdom mindset and we start to think through sustainability. And as a result, we can start to actually unleash generosity, which, again, this is a pivotal moment. We want to be countercultural. We want to do the king, kingdom thing. We are an incredibly generous church, not just financially, but in so many ways. If you missed the vision talk in February, I shared so much of the detail then. And I want to say, if you did miss it, please listen to it, because I think it's crucial to understand who we are and where we're going. But our hearts have to prioritize what Jesus prioritizes and to... and and. And, and to step into the fullness of generosity. One of you shared with me this week that Taryn Kapoor, the chief executive of the Dean Trust schools, of which this is one of them, was on the BBC News this week talking about the financial crisis and the impact on schools, the massive shortfalls that they're facing with the increased costs in heating, food and staff costs. We have before, and we will again, prioritise helping others and stepping into reaching needs beyond ourselves. We give away as a minimum, it's actually way more, 15% of everything that comes into us to things that don't directly benefit ourselves. I shared and I will share again more of that in the next vision tour, but I just want you to know we're going to be generous. We're going to be generous to this school, to this community and to this city because we have to keep being generous even in a time of perceived restraint because we want to be people that live by kingdom values, not swayed by the season or the flavour of the day and the time we live in. The sixth thing is this. I believe that our vision and our sacrifice needs to be worth it. We, we, that's going to mean that it requires a measure of trust. 
actually for all of us, I think often this is a trust issue. This sometimes is a trust in us, but actually it's a trust in God. Let me just explain what I mean by that. We have to be healthy as a church. We have to be healthy with our stewardship of our finances. We have to have sound accounts that are externally externally audited we have to have trustees all of that kind of stuff Steph and I have to lead in a way that you trust us that we have integrity and that we model and we live out generosity it predominantly though I believe is a trust conversation in God because money isn't as money is his the vision needs to be compelling yes challenging and have life-changing results yes people don't normally give to something that lacks vision but it also comes down to do we trust the lord and i'd, I'd say it's, it's kind of two things firstly please understand the vision so if you missed it i'd encourage you to go back on the vision talk secondly i'd say there is a there's a booklet on your seats that would help you just outline some of the broad parameters of that Practically, it also tells you some of the ways that you can give and more broadly be involved in the life of the church. We're not externally funded. Everything that we do and are able to do and have done comes as a result of your generosity and your open-handed spirits. The crucial thing is, though, and please don't make the mistake I have made sometimes in previous church environments, you aren't giving to me. I think that's a fundamental thing for some of you. You are giving as much as I hope you trust us and trust the way we lead this church, but it isn't based on us, it's based on him. It's not as he asks us to do it. And it's so easy to get trapped in this one. I think I've done it at times where I'm like, God, you can have. Well, you can have a bit of my time and you can have a bit of my headspace and you can have a bit of my life choices, but money... <laughs> that's, that's kind of my thing. Well, actually, kind of, because he lets you have it. It's really, if I'm honest, not yours at all. It's all his. Sometimes we have this 10% mentality where he, he can have 10% if he's lucky. So I don't mean that in a blasphemous way. I'm just trying to speak into the reality. The reality actually is in the West, research shows that on average people give about 4%. Imagine if the Western church would give 10%. Imagine what the Lord might do in it and through it. But anyway, we digress. The other way I often see it is this. Goodness me, what kindness and generosity that he lets us keep 90%. And actually, I think we have to be careful because sometimes it doesn't take as long to start to think, well, that 90% now is mine. And that starts to control us and dictate us. It's mine. Well, actually, it's kind of not. It's all his anyway. 10% is quite an interesting conversation, isn't it? Paul, how can you say 10%? Well, let me just say a few things. Firstly, I think it's personally, I found it really, really, really helpful to have a guide. The Bible gives us a guide on most things. It just feels like this area, because it's about money, is actually a bit more prickly to us. But we're under grace. We're not under law. So let's not be legalistic about it. I could say, I think, 10% if we looked at the Old Testament. Malachi 3, verse 8, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When do we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there would be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for while I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The word tithe literally means a tenth part, one tenth. You can't tithe according or reflecting on the Old Testament 2% of your income. You can't tithe a few pounds a week if your income is more than a couple of hundred pounds. The call to tithe is to give one tenth of our income. God mentioned 32 times that principle and concept in the Old Testament. The first we read of tithe, the 10th part, is Genesis 14. Before the 
institution of the old covenant, Abraham gives one-tenth of spoils of war to Melchizedek, who is the priest of God the Most High. Abraham gives Melchizedek this tenth of the spoils in recognition that Abraham's military victory was not achieved by his strength alone, but by the power of God. Abraham is a man who recognised that he is utterly dependent on the Lord for success. The passage in Malachi is fascinating because when they gave him less than the whole tithe, when they gave him whatever that was, two, five, seven percent, they were robbing him. For me, as I read that, I'm kind of like, wow. You talk about turning people's accusations on its head. The people were saying, God, you're holding back from us. And God says, no, you've held back from me. It's, it's kind of like you haven't kept your end of the covenant bargain. I saved you. I gave you a blessing. You are mine as, as, and, and as king. A tenth of everything belongs to me. And you've been holding back. And you give me whatever is in your wallet. You give me whatever is, is left over after you've paid your bills, after you've bought everything you think you need. And actually, I want the whole tithe. And some people say that the storehouse equals the church. And they teach this kind of storehouse tithing mentality. And the reason I believe... And I say this, this is what we do personally, is that I believe that the local church is to be given the whole tithe and offerings and that anything above that to other Christian organisations, to the poor, to people in a small group that have need. Actually, I say that because I believe this, that the whole New Testament teaches that the local church is fundamentally the agent of the kingdom of God in this world and the centre of God's plan in reaching the world is the church and the local church ought to be the very center therefore i would say of our giving but beyond that we give offerings our generosity doesn't stop at 10 percent. we give and we give and we give generously let me just for a moment though chuck out the 10 percent thing for those of you that find that difficult and confusing i don't believe it but i just want to allow you to completely chuck it out because i want you to see it another way if we were to say that I believe under the new covenant we ought to give as the Spirit of God leads, actually I have no difficulty whatsoever with that. I completely agree with that. I think that is a very healthy interpretation of the Bible. But my question is this, and this is quite a hard question, how will the Spirit of God lead you? Because let me just frame it this way. Imagine if you get a quote for some DIY work on your house and you agree a price with the person who's going to do it. And say you agree the real living wage, which I think at the moment is about £10.90. And let's say in addition to the job that they're going to do for you and you're paying them to do, they come to you afterwards and say, hey, I didn't just do what you asked me to do. But while I was here, I mended your car, I relayed your drive, I washed all your clothes, I did the ironing, I cut your tea, I cut the grass. And you say, as rightly you would, you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting any of that. And you say to them, well, what do you want for all that you did today? And the person just says, well, give me whatever you feel led to give. Would you give less than the £10.90 an hour and that you agreed and the number of hours that you originally agreed to. Because the challenge I often find with spirit-led freedom is that God has given us so much more than we're given to the children of Israel in the old covenant. He gave his son, he gave Jesus' life, he gave the teaching, he gave a record of Jesus' miracles in the New Testament. We have the death of the Son of God, we have his resurrection, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have the assurance of eternal life, we have the blessing of the Christian church. And I, I, if I say I'm going to give as the Holy Spirit leads, will the Holy Spirit lead me to give less than the Jews were required to give under the old covenant? Let me, let me just jump back to what I said at the beginning and I said earlier. If you can't feel conviction through what I say today, I'm not targeting you. If you, again, feel condemnation, I'm not targeting you because I have no idea whether or not you give or what you give. That's between you and the Lord. But often as I reflect on these things personally, it stirs me to deeper and greater generosity because that is the way of the Lord. And personally, this deeply convicts me because none of it is mine. 
or as. It's all his. Luke 17, verse 10. So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say we were just unworthy servants who have only done our duty. If the Spirit were to lead me, surely he'd lead me into greater generosity rather than restriction. It's not yours, it's him, and it's his. But actually, it's often quite painful, and it becomes very painful when we start to see it as ours. We have to keep giving. We have to keep being generous. Yes, we build the church, but for the sake of the city, because actually he builds the church. We want to be internally strong, but externally focused. People shy away from saying they need to build the church or infrastructure, particularly when they talk about money. I kind of want to say, actually, goodness me, I want to be unashamed about that. I want to be unashamed about putting my shoulder to the plough of him building his church. I want you to know that they just worked it out. It costs us, I think, about £3 per chair per Sunday to put out. As a student, you may be thinking, well, I, I can't give much. I don't even have an income. I just want to say this, that for the less than the cost of a pint, you could be providing a chair for somebody to be part of all that God is cultivating here. I'm not begging you for three pounds. I'm not trying to make you feel this deep sense of pain or shame if you don't give. I'm hoping that I inspire you to realise that you can step into something longer lasting than maybe you'd realised. To facilitate and carry vision and culture and to reach out beyond ourselves. Within 422 this Christmas, you may have realised it, you may have not, but we're giving people the opportunity to share with friends and families and neighbours and colleagues, basically anybody, that we can serve the needs of a community, that people can be drawn into generosity, that ultimately the generosity that we have and can carry comes from God and people at the earliest point can be drawn into that. £180 provides food and essentials for one year for a child or adult experiencing food poverty, helping them maximise their income and other access and support and groups through 422. £55 provides a month worth of pantry food and essentials for a whole family. £40 every week ensures that we offer fresh fruit and vegetables to a family to take home. £6 provides someone with sanitary items for a month. Despite bills rising actually across the board in this so-called cost of living crisis that we walk through, we're going to ensure that the cafe is open and warm throughout the winter months. All the food in the cafe is subsidised to ensure that it's sustainable and people can afford it. £192 a month covers our pay-it-forward free meals that we give away to so many. We have to keep being generous and we have to keep prioritising others beyond ourselves, even as a church community. Does that cost us? Yes, it costs us dearly, but it's what Jesus taught us to do. The seventh, the final thing, and I land with this. People who don't know Jesus are often more open to conversations about money than often we realise. Often an objection in my mind to me talking about money is that I'll make it hard. I'll make it painful for those that are newcomers or those that are exploring Jesus. I spoke on money last year and this dear couple who um, came to me afterwards, I believe they're in a process of exploring a relationship with Jesus, they came to me straight afterwards and I did the gulp thing. Oh gosh. What have I done? And somebody had already actually come up to me and say, they really want to talk to you. So I'm like doubly gulping now. And I'm like, I've offended them. I've cost them something in their relationship with Jesus. Anyway, they came to me and actually my jaw nearly dropped. This guy said to me, that's the best talk I've ever heard. And I said like, not ever. Be <laughs> behave yourself. <laughs> Maybe about money. And he said, no, ever. And I thought, wow, how fascinating. Because people often find it hard to talk about, about money, but actually it can be helpful to talk about money when they realise you're just trying to help them. You're not out to grab something from them. You're trying to release something in them when it comes to sharing and spreading the gospel. The opportunities we have right now in this season and culture is phenomenal because everywhere we go, People are talking about money. And this is a subject area that Jesus had so much to talk about. 
so much to refer to. Crisis always brings opportunity. I had a few conversations even this week with our neighbours and other people that I've, that I've bumped into and often they give you in an instant this opportunity where the door is just wide open because they're worried about money. They're worried about rising costs and they're worried about how they'll buy and provide and this, that and the other. And whilst I share my concern, I'm, I'm quite mindful actually that I'm not worried and often they ask why, and we get this opportunity to share, and we get this opportunity to step in with hearts of generosity. And I love telling stories about you guys, about what the Lord is doing among us as a church, because we get to help people who help. We get to help people who need help, and we get to step in to those moments. Let me just finish by reading you this, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9. As the scriptures say, they share freely and they give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. We have to realize what's ours actually isn't ours. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I'm not saying we give to receive but we give because it isn't ours and because it's bigger than us. And actually, this is about an investment in eternity. This makes an impact bigger than us than anything we could foresee or even imagine. Verse 7, you must divide. Sorry, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will share, sorry, we'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. I just want to encourage you to review what you're doing, what you're giving. What do you give? Do you need to start giving? Do you need to increase your giving? Have you had a pay rise? Have you had a change in your circumstances? Are you giving reluctantly? Are you giving minimally? Have you decided you don't need to because your finances don't allow it? I don't think they ever will but we're only stewards of what is actually his and not ours. And we're going to continue to step into the things we believe God has called us to do and be as a church. We're going to continue to take risks, not reckless, but faith-led and spirit-led. And we don't want to be a limiter on what could be limitless. We're going to give generously, and I pray that we will see a generous crop produced and to take a step into this next chapter we believe God has for us we of course will need to see a financial uplift and we're praying for that in a downturn we're not going to back off there are forms on your seats that would help you be part of the vision and the fulfillment that we believe is on us as a church and I'd encourage you to take a moment this week to review it and to do something about it I also want to say if you are giving Many of you have, but gift aid increases what you give by 25%. You can do so if you haven't already at mvuk.org forward slash gift aid. If those that hadn't did, and I realise not everybody can, it would be the equivalent to a day a week's salary. This is my final sentence. I know I've said it's a final sentence a few times, but honestly, I just want to say this. If you've come here today and you've heard this outside of my heart for you, outside of the context of being one part of a wider conversation around discipleship, then I'm sorry. Equally, sometimes the challenge of the mind can reveal the heart, and that's for you, I believe, to work out. But if you feel pressure or you feel guilt, then I am sorry because that's not what I'm hoping would be the landing point because you must decide in your own heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and an empowered church will be a generous church why don't we stand together just as Steph joins me you will realize we left the house at different times without realizing we were both wearing green <laughs> what a schoolboy error we're very cute aren't we <laughs> right, well, well, let's just spend some time in the presence of God.
I invite you just to, if you're comfortable, to close your eyes. Just open yourself up to what God, God wants to do. Let's for a moment just imagine our lives on, um, on a scale, a sliding scale. We've got control at one end and surrender at the other. And let's just think for a moment, let's ponder for a moment where, where, would, where we would say we are on that scale. And I'm not just talking about money or our hearts or our generosity, I'm talking about our whole lives. We can't have control and surrender. In Matthew uh, 10, verse 39, it says, If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to embrace sacrifice. We are called to radical commitment. We are called to surrender. And it's in that place of surrender that we find everything we could possibly need or want. And so I just want to give you an invitation this morning to, and an encouragement to, to take just one more step towards surrender, away from control. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you in that, empower you in that, guide you and lead you and mould you as you lean into the way of Jesus and into his kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. I just sense a couple of things. One is almost for some of you, it's like become almost like a physical burden upon you, just the worry and the anxiety around your finances and the constant swirl of the conversation of the day. It's almost like gripping you around the throat. I just want to pray freedom over you this morning. For some of you, I sense that like you've been sought to be so faithful with what the Lord has given you and steward it so wisely and yet still you just feel a, a, like a, a, a slight anxiety around it. Again, I just long that the Lord would settle that. And um, just a, a, a few senses physically this morning. One is, this may sound a bit strange, but if you just press your finger um, under, under your eye and you just touch it and just press it, that part of your eye is very painful and quite tender. And for some of you, I think that that will be, actually for one of you, I think you'll just know that. That's the language you use. Oh, if I even just touch the underside of my eye. I think the Lord is just trying to highlight something to you this morning and speak quite specifically to you through that. Someone came to me this morning and said that they'd had a dream, um, quite a specific dream, and she was fully willing to be completely wrong and fall on her face, um, but offered it in humility. And um, the dream was that there, there was someone here who um, there was a problem with both their big toenails, and they were, I think they were splitting, and it was causing repeated infection. And um, yeah, she just wanted to offer that in case that was the Lord speaking to her. We just love how, how God does speak to us. He's always been speaking. He continues to speak. Thank you, God. Just, as, just before we respond, I feel like um, you can, actually I can see it in the room. Don't disengage from what the Lord is doing with you. But there's just suddenly then there was just a, like an increase. There was a turn up of a dial, like increased temperature. Some of you are just becoming very aware, not even necessarily anything we've talked about this morning, but there's, a, there's an awareness of the presence of God. There's awareness of the Lord just nudging, prompting and stirring you. And I want to encourage you to step into that and let people stand alongside you and pray for you. For some of you, that is that's a, it's a peace, but some of you, as almost you can sense that physically, there were certain physical interactions that are happening with you even right now, as I say it. A weight in your hands, an increase to your heart rate, a change in your like your the speed of your blinking, whatever it may be.
some of you, I just I believe you just got, um, as I was saying, some of that, just a, like a, a sensation in your right shoulder and your right hand. And uh, if that is you, again, we'd love to pray for you. And I'd love to know personally if that is you, because I think the Lord wants to speak something over you specifically. Just while we're, while we're stood there, why don't we just respond? Some of you just may want to acknowledge some of those things and maybe pray for many other things. Why don't you just come to the, the front? Whilst people are standing, it's easy to get out of your rows and people are going to come and join you and pray for you. Some of the band will play softly in the background too. Not because we're trying to create any emotional hype or manipulation, but as a covering of kind of protection over those people that are coming to be prayed for so they don't have to feel that the whole of the room is listening to what they're sharing or um, what might be being prayed over them. But do come. Do come and receive prayer for whatever it might be that you, you need, you're longing for. Just as we're in this place, let's just remain sensitive to the Lord. I think just you can see it all over this room that the Lord is just gently meeting and ministering to people. And I just encourage you not to rush that, to disengage from that, to step out of that. Some of you, where you're in small groups, most might want to move around a few people. I often take it if people have got their eyes shut, they're waiting on the Lord, that they're willing for you to stand alongside them, to pray with them. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.